0: Hello, people. Welcome to ClapperCast episode 54. We have quite a fun show or a big show for you, depending on how you want to look at it. We have three, I would say, pretty decent films that we're reviewing. We have some fun news topics, including genuinely the most petty thing I've seen in my life. We'll get there, though. First off, let's just introduce who's
1: here. Like I said, I'm your host, Carson Tamar, joined by the lovely Paul Price. How are you doing, Paul? Good. Missing Alina. I'm spoiling the fact that she's not here.
0: Our queen, our head of ClapperCast, not here today, but hopefully we'll be back next week. But to replace her, well, not really replace her, he was going to be here anyway, we have Nicola Grasso. How are you doing, Nick?
2: Hello, hello. I'm doing all right, doing all right.
0: So why don't we jump into things. Just with our first review, let's get one out of the three out of the way. Uh, this is a film I know I saw back at AFI Fest. I think you saw it probably at Venice, Nick. And Paul, I think you're just catching up with it because you didn't see it at AFI Fest Let's jump into New Order. Uh, Nick, why don't you, do you want to just like introduce this film for us and what your initial thoughts
2: on it are? Yeah, like like you said, I, I watched the movie back in Venice when it premiered and I remember there was a lot of hype surrounding it and it was the wrong type of hype because people were running around saying, oh, you know, like this New Order film, Nova Horden, it's it's kind of like a parasite, you know, it's kind of like a parasite, <laughs> which set the wrong type of expectations into people. Um, the best way that I could describe New Order as a comparison, it's uh, Louis Bunuel meets Michael Anneke. This is a dark, bleak, depressing, nihilistic film set in a dystopian Mexico where the rich are really powerful, the poor are really upset and they try to overthrow the the rich and powerful, those in control. But actually what that brings is a new order. It's more police force. It's more control on the civilization. It's more power to the rich. And it's the type of film that constantly teases you with subplots, storylines, ideas. And you think you know where it's going and then it constantly slaps you in the face and says, nope. You think there's gonna be a main character? Nope, they're dead. You think we're going to go in this direction? Nope, totally the opposite. It's a bold film. It's an uncomfortable film. I think it's one of the most, I wouldn't say necessarily disturbing, but just it really gets under my skin. Even re-watching it now, I think there's some power to it that people simply weren't ready for when it was released, both at the festivals and now, judging by the overall negative reception, People want something more positive. People want an actual meaning or maybe hope for the future or hopefully something that can lead us to change. And Michel Franco is just coming here and saying, nope, we are all doomed. It's a fun film.
0: Yeah, that, that's a quite positive, I guess, take on it. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw this film, like said, at AFI Fest and it kind of blew me away there. I do find it funny how this conversation for this, like, you see it, it follows this pattern where you see it and you love it and then like afterwards you find out like everyone is shitting on it and I don't really get the hate. Again, I'm again. this is another one where it's like, I'm sad Alina's not here. Sad for Plan B, but also sad here because she's like a history major and she had a lot she wanted to talk about with this film and like the history of Mexico really would have added like a solid pers- perspective, not here. Um, so can't really speak on that. But I think this movie is great. I think this movie is really intense, like you mentioned, some great scenes. I agree the soul of it is not quite like Parasite. I described it as like, imagine the ending of Parasite is the starting point, and I stand by that like from a more plot perspective than like a thesis perspective. But no, I think that this film, I mean, it's hard to even kind of talk about without spoiling it because like it recontextualizes itself at multiple points, and that isn't to say like, it's, 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 it's easy enough to follow if you're really paying attention. But like, I just think this film is really a solid look at like the monopoly on violence and monopoly specifically on narrative that governments can hold. And I do think like, I am hearing a lot of criticism on Twitter and this doesn't say like objectively, these people are wrong or completely invalidate their opinions. But like, I do think a lot of people on Twitter are just like missing even like the most basic point of what this film is doing from like an objective standpoint. Like I feel people are missing the plot of this movie, much less anything deeper. It's trying to say, which is it's really interesting, but I have seen this now twice. Like I mentioned, I also saw it in theaters recently, just rewatching it for the pod and it stood up, I would say possibly even better on a second watching. I think this film's great.
1: Yeah. um, During AFI fest, everyone wrote me and said oh you need to watch this and then I went to go get tickets and it was gone and then the backlash started happening and I kind of wondered if that had something to do with watching it at home so I decided not to I had a couple chances to watch it and then I was like it's going to come out in theaters eventually or um, if it doesn't I'm (laughs) doing this for no reason but I got to see it in theaters and I think that it really does make the film a lot more impactful because with no chance to look at your phone, no chance to like uh, disengage at all. um, It is very intense and very stressful. And, um, you know, it was interesting when I watched it uh, during the like George Floyd protests in LA, um, especially those first couple days, you didn't know how It was gonna play out and um you know there was like one little fire in la but the cops were getting really intense and then all of a sudden we had like a military presence in la and it was so interesting watching this uh i saw it with a friend who lived right in the center of hollywood and we both got out and we're like if like a couple different things had changed this is exactly (laughs) what would have happened in la um you know maybe not to the extent that there's just like wanton you know disregard for human life but um uh, you know watching the police crack down far more than uh is necessary even though you know we do see a reason for it um at the beginning it is interesting just to be like this is a lot closer to real than i think we want to like admit like even you saying it's a dystopia i was like kind of (laughs) it's kind of like possible um which really adds something I do I do have a couple problems with um some of the moments that just feel a little too cruel specifically to the character whose only fault is that she believes in people too much um but I do understand that it's supposed to like make you feel like that and just be mad at the world um, but I do think it's interesting. You go and look and it's got like a 2.7 or something on, rock, uh, on Letterboxd. And all the reviews are just like, it hates poor people, which I don't even see as a possible interpretation of the movie. <laughs> um, the rich people aren't treated nicely. There's one character that's sympathetic out of all the rich people. And then mostly it's the the lower classes that... Um, you know, the characters that you really spend the most time with and get to like. Uh, yeah, it's just, I really enjoyed it. I was expecting to like it and I liked it a lot more. I think it's currently my favorite movie of 2021, which I'm counting it as 2021. Um, I'm back and forth between the trilogy of Zack Snyder's Justice League, New Order, and Barb and Star, <laughs> Go to Fist Del Mar, which is honestly the perfect trilogy of uh, <laughs> my cinematic tastes. I guess that means you count Nomadland as 2020. That's all that tells me. Um, I would count Nomadland as any year and it would still be at the bottom. Maybe I will add it to the bottom of this list too. Just, you know, have a floor that everything could sit above. I can't believe you um, put it last on your best picture ranks. Oh, um, no, I literally below. sat there. I sat there and I was like, is it the worst best picture? And I was like, I think so. And I think like history will agree with me. I think we'll look back in 10 years. We can do a Clappercast reunion because um, we'll all be famous by then and we'll be like, oh, look, it was terrible. You were right. Um, but anyway, off topic, uh, kind of, actually. Um, actually, I can pull this back in. Um, it is interesting that, like, Americanized movies try to show, like, uh, the the lower classes as always noble or, you know, drug dealers or something. It's either, like, super evil or super, uh, you know, nice, and then, watching a foreign film where it's like everyone kind of sucks everyone's a piece of shit <laughs> like it really is interesting um and I do see why the American sensibilities don't like this movie but I think they're wrong and they have bad taste also I never saw the movie that Mexico chose the Netflix one um for their
2: uh I'm no longer uh, here right or yeah like I, I, I it was think... fine.
0: Wasn't um, new order's clearly better?
2: <laughs>
1: I well, it, you know, I'll go off on a slight. T- it's not even a tangent. It's directly related. I don't like that we're still doing. Countries can only pick one movie. It seems very like festival of like the nineteen fifties. Like each country pick one. You know, the Olympics or some shit. Um, because it, you know, you look at uh, France two years ago with uh, Le Miserable and um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire clearly portraits the better film mm-hmm. um, and even I didn't see it but um, and I fuck Polanski but like there was a Polanski film that clearly was you know getting with audiences I don't think that those kind of movies should be like cut out Polanski should but I'm using just a third movie that's a take Paul. Uh, <laughs> well no I'm just I was like I'm not backtracking but I'm saying no, I go like, to uh, I think there were three movies from uh, Mexico last year too. Um, there was the uh, crossing the border half documentary movie. Um, I
0: carry you, I carry you with me.
1: Yeah. Uh, all mm. three of those probably are valid films. and you know, you look mm-hmm. at what usually gets picked by the um, the countries, and it's always like a political reason. I totally understand why Mexico wouldn't pick a movie that says like, you know, our government's corrupt as hell, but um, it's really frustrating. And I think that we should move away from that. If Mexico has three films that belong in best foreign language, give them three spots. Like um, I don't, I don't see why we're still doing that, especially when um, all it's doing is like, from now on, whenever Bong Joon-ho releases a film in Korea, whatever Korean filmmaker is there will not get in because it's Bong Joon-ho. And he'll, he'll just be the one that they'll pick.
2: Something that's interesting about this is that uh, have any of you watched any other movie by Michel Franco outside of this? Because I haven't actually. That's, that's a, it's, I feel ashamed I for that. I but... <laughs> I met the guy in 2017 because he was part of the jury. And I didn't even know who he was. And they talked to him like twice, I think, at the festival in Venice. And then I was like, oh, he's a director. And they still haven't watched any of his other movies outside of this one. But one of the things I discovered over the years is that he's very controversial in Mexico, like super controversial. And and they hated New Order. I don't think they would have ever picked it, even if they had like 10 spots for for a movie, honestly, to send to the Academy Awards. (laughs) Because the weirdest things like on Twitter, but also on Facebook, I shared my review of my recent review of, of New Order and I got comments from Mexicans in Spanish for some reason where they were like this movie doesn't represent our country it's like if you saw Joker as an accurate representation of America don't take it as real I was like no but it's, it's fiction it's setting this weird dystopian world that's very very real though it feels very close to us like you said Paul but again I don't have enough context for this but, it, but they hate it a lot and even directors like, I think, I don't want to say something wrong, but I think Guillermo del Toro and maybe even too, they didn't defend this film. They were very against it. They were supporting it at first because it won at Venice. What? It was going to a Iñárritu something
1: <laughs> douchey? <laughs> oh, That's my God.
2: <laughs> and they're, they're throwing this man under the bus. And... I can I can see why, in a way, because it's not a flattering portrayal of the country, but I didn't even, like, taking it from my perspective, I, I don't want to ground it too much even in Mexico, because I don't, like, it's unfortunate that Alina isn't here, so I don't want to say anything wrong about that, but even, like you said, like, with the George Floyd protests in LA or other problems that have been here, like, in Italy with neo-fascist movements, in Germany as well, this constant fear that these protests are being weaponized by the government. Like this is an excuse, that's that's the most disturbing thing. I don't know if you can call it a spoiler maybe for this movie, but just at the end, it's it's never explicitly stated, but you just get it. You're like, oh man, you think the new order at first is going to be like the revolution, the people changing everything. It's like, no, this was made by the government to have even more control over everyone. It's disturbing And, and seeing the reaction of some people that just baffles me. Like I've I've talked about this with a lot of friends, where they're like, well, there's no point to this." And even someone else on Twitter was like, "Well, there's no point to this film. So what's the what's the good point of the movie? There's no point." I was like, "No, but have you have you watched this film? I think it is because it's just not a good ending at all. There's not a single positive thing in the entire movie in the last like twenty to thirty minutes. And I think that's why people feel it's meaningless." It's pointless. And I wholly disagree. I, 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 I defend people who want escapism, who want art to be more you know more fun, entertaining, gives me something positive in my life and leaves me with a big smile on my face. But, but I also think we need something like New Order. It's, it's a cold shower. It's just, you don't like it, but sometimes you need it to just wake you up. And the fact that it's like, people are not even sleeping on it. Like it's just hating it. The rating dropped to 2.6. Like I don't, I don't care about ratings that much. But if I were to go, like, oh, what's what's the order about? Oh Jesus, 2.6 probably sucks. Just skip it. I don't know. It's it's it's. It's genuinely shocking to me. I'm just confused.
0: <laughs> what I think is most frustrating is the fact that like how I look at this film, and how I film and how I read it, which is how I think like. It's meant to be read. It's very important, like you mentioned. It's a very poignant, memorable, important, relevant, modern message about these protests and about the government's reaction, about governments taking control. And that's not just say just George Floyd there's in the black lives matter protest. It's happening on a global level right now. And you have governments all over the world, taking advantage and abusing its citizens and taking advantage of them and taking advantage of these moments of unrest. I mean, it, I think it needs to be stated and this message and this film needs to be present. Like the thoughts behind it needs to be present in modern society. But like, I just don't get the rejection of it. And I really, I just don't understand how someone could watch this and say like, oh, it's anti-poor people or like that, anything like that. It's not, and I get like, if you want to say like, oh, it's disingenuous to the state of Mexico and it devalues like, or potentially hurts the global image towards that country. I get it to a point, but ultimately I think it goes beyond that. You know, I think it goes beyond Mexico. And yes, there are some clear symbolisms like the green paint and stuff. But like, I don't think this film is saying like the point, the thesis of this film isn't let's look at how fucked up the politics in Mexico are. It goes much deeper and much more universal than that. So I just think that's a reduction of the film. I just I find it very frustrating the conversation surrounding this and again if someone really did you know a clappercast at gmail.com if you have something you know email let us know we'll talk about it um on a future episode but like i just don't get how people can be so anti and negative and just missing the mark on this film but i guess that's
1: life yeah well i also feel like um you know uh, there's been talk a lot about the letterbox effect um even within like reviews and stuff where if you look at a review you're immediately biased and you will also like prepare yourself to um the majority of people will prepare themselves to agree with that um you see it a lot with um like really positive reviews um sometimes people will be like this movie isn't great I didn't enjoy it four star and then other times and it's like it's to like fit with the crowd. And I don't know if it's to get likes because actually the more controversial you are, the more likely you are to get likes. Look at my uh, 35 plus uh, liked review of the Mitchells versus the machines, one star. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, it's like, um, I just feel like people are, uh, you'd see it with something like last year with Cuties. Um, Any of these movies where uh, people just look, read a snippet, get mad, um, one of my favorite things to do, uh, cause I'm a narc is to report reviews when they say I didn't watch the movie, but regardless of their rating, even if I agree with them, it's one of my biggest pet peeves because I'm like, you're screwing up a score that like is very like, you know, a couple reviews can really change a movie's rating sometimes with, especially with smaller films. And that one, uh, this one specifically is just littered with those. Uh, I heard it's about hating poor people half star and you're like, okay. Um, but I think that's one of the things that happens is you come in and you expect it to, um, you know, if people had told me it's, you know, about hating poor people. And I was someone who would be sympathetic to that. I probably would dislike aspects of this movie. Um, but, uh, I don't see that regardless. Um, even like, you know, using the first scene, which is very like the spot people talk about the most, they're having a wedding during huge unrest and protests and violence and hospitals are full. And they're having like this really exclusive wedding. Like (laughs) the rich people starting out are doing the most dangerous thing. Um, and so I, you can never really feel bad for them. Um, You know, uh, there's aspects where their own employees are kind of against them. Um, They're set up to where, you know, they constantly reference, how long ago did you work for us when someone's asking for money? They're not set up to be nice people. Um, And I just think it's Marianne, but I don't think Marianne's particularly a, she is a sweet character, but her naivete is like off the charts. I mean, she leaves her wedding, in the middle of protests where people are getting killed to go pay some money to do this thing, to take someone to a hospital and be like noble and then go back to her very nice wedding. And it's like, you know, we read it uh, as a protagonist as like, oh, this is sympathetic. But if you step back, if any of your friends went and did that, you'd be like, you are insane and whatever happens to you is a hundred percent your fault. Um, you know, uh, yes, things were going on at the wedding as well, but she probably, you know, would have been a lot safer <laughs> in that, uh, you know, murder scenario there. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting to me. It's it seems like it's one of those things that will be a, a contention for a while. I will be interested to see what the conversation for this movie does slowly i expect a lot of think pieces in like three to five years that are like new order is actually great you know um and i assume the conversation will change but that score is going to be hard to It and, and it a letter exactly you know what you guys were saying a letterbox score means jack shit but at the same time it is like a public sentiment feeling and i think it'll be hard to shift that public sentiment for a while just because of what people are taking from it initially which is interesting going back to Parasite I think Parasite talks worse about poor people than this does uh, you know uh, I watch it and I'm like these are these poor you know these uh lower classes are manipulative if they get into your lives they'll ruin everything you will you know have horrible repercussions for interacting with the lower classes the title and- of the
0: movie is comparing them to parasites <laughs> that's yeah i know the movie <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like it's so funny to me there's and like you know um even they're like loyal workers are you know doing these insane things keeping people under the house sorry spoiling best picture if you're <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast you've definitely seen parasite but um you know it's like it's such a weird thing that this movie, and I don't know if it's because it came out after the protests and most people weren't in the protests at all. Like they may have been in their smaller towns or anything, but as a whole, they weren't in like LA, New York and all this stuff, um, you know, where you felt the beginning of the film and then hard felt the end uh, <laughs> where the government, you know, I was sitting in my house talking to my friends and all of a sudden like five military military helicopters went over my house and then my friend was sitting there we were playing uh game night and a car exploded outside his house and it's like you know it was a real feeling um but i think people just seeing it as the um you know oh this is saying that revolution is bad it's like no it's a nuanced thing and i guess nuance is you know impossible nowadays especially with social
2: media yeah, you almost need this to have like a blatant message. You need someone to actually say what's happening, say what's going on, because otherwise otherwise, there's nothing there. That's the most shocking thing, because I wouldn't consider this honestly a subtle film. I think it's very subdued in terms of like exposition, but it's not subtle. Like it's, a, again, it's just so in your face that I find it hard to believe that some people are just seeing this as having nothing. That's the thing.
1: Oh, yeah and actually um the other thing i do see that people say is that it's graphic um actually mm. with the exception of one scene in the prison um you know which one i'm talking about uh, <laughs> actually two in the prison uh the movie i felt was very um restrained in its violence um that was probably budgetary but i actually really appreciated it because there are moments where i would have been uh the reaction would have been repulsed um, by the violence. But instead, you feel a real sadness um, that I don't think you would have gotten if they didn't pull away every time, you know, and you see a character and it's like, oh, no, come
2: on. It <laughs> um, it's still fairly shocking, I would say.
1: Oh, yeah, no, definitely.
2: People... Yeah. And, the, Our... and the, like you said, it's very respectful in that sense, weirdly enough. Like you see, in, you see just the right amount of Of brutality, of violence without just lingering on it. This could have been easily more gratuitous with everything. And in that sense, I would have been on the side of this is too much. But as it is, it's it's the right balance, which is not easy to find. And even then, for some people, he went overboard. But that's what he always does, from what I understand. Like all of his movies are just, you know, static shots, not really like very distance from people, very cold camera work that makes everything harder. That's, that's kind of the Anike influence, I believe, on his cinema.
0: Well, if you want to check out New Order for yourself, it is currently in theaters in the United States, I believe in the UK. It's coming out on movie over the summer. I'm not sure about every other country. You can find it on your local listings and your local uh, TV channels or whatever, you know, your theater listings, whatever the fuck you want to say. Um, but Paul, you mentioned scores can be hard to change. Let's get into our first piece of news. Genuinely, I <laughs> laughed. Maybe the hardest I've laughed this year when I saw this. So a couple weeks back, I don't think we talked about on the podcast, Paddington 2 got named the best film of all time on Rotten Tomatoes because an old film review of Citizen Kane came out from like way back in the It was 80 day. years ago. Yeah, 80 years ago, disliking the film. Well, it only kept that title for about two weeks. I'm not going to name the guy's name because I don't want to set, you know, on, you know, I don't want to send hate to him. I will say it's on FilmAuthority.com If you want to check it out, we have not get, uh, I don't have the official date on when this was posted, but we it do have in, a uh,
1: 2017.
0: Well, but it this was, 20, was recently, right.
1: Added. It's an, yeah. right. It's an old review recently added.
0: Yes. Two star um, review for Paddington two came out, bumped it down. To not be hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes now it's only at ninety nine percent no longer the best film of all time thoughts did, what is this is this unjust is this worthy did a king lose his throne to, you know what what's up
1: my my biggest problem with this is um, uh, the man who I guess we're not naming um, who I literally uh, Google searched or uh, Twitter searched for like twenty minutes just to read everyone hating him. Um, he did this on purpose and he's proud of it and he's happy and you go read his comments and reactions and it's like this man from a site I've never heard of did this so that everyone would go look at his stupid site and that's really annoying and like it is an old review um, but you can read it with the glee he has that he's like oh people are clicking on my site he's like look it's my number one review it's like he has it like at the top of his site right now. He's doing this for the, and so in that way, it's really annoying. I don't think Paddington 2 is the best film of all time. I love Paddington 2, Um, but you know, it's uh, the, whatever is 100% is ridiculous. Right now it's, I think, Leave No Trace. Is that right? The, I yeah, believe it's so. like. Some- some oh, wow. random, it's a good film. Yeah. I would say better than Padding, Probably better than Paddington too. to be fair, but
0: yeah, you're not going to like it.
1: Yeah, well, no, I know I wouldn't. I also... You're I just going to be word... like, get out of the fucking forest. That's literally <laughs> your response. <laughs> I also read the word Portland, Oregon and I was like, God bless. Portland, Oregon's the worst city in the US. Um, it is a trash hole. It is our armpit. When people talk about how much they hate Florida, I'm like, have you been to Portland? Um, I lived there, anyway. So I, can say, I can say that it's my people. I will quickly um,
0: clarify I don't think this is an old review, this is new. He posted his it's... final paragraph, which I will read. Also, I think he removed his name from this. Actually, I don't know what his name is. Actually, I was going to mention it now that I'm reading directly from it, but whatever you can find it pretty easily. He says he reviewed Paddington 2 negatively for BBC Radio on release in 2015 and on 2017 and on multiple occasions after that and I stand by every word of my criticism this is not my Paddington bear but a sinister maleficent imposter who should be shot into space or nuked from space at the first opportunity. Over Overconfident, snide, and sullen, this manky-looking bear bears little relation to the classic character, and viewers should be warned. This ain't yo mama's bat- Paddington bear, and it won't be yours either. Maybe if you've never seen the TV show and don't know anything better, this will work, but long-term Paddington fans will find this too much to bear. So he's clearly, like, relishing in this being...
2: yes yeah. sad said, man.
1: And there's... I'm a little confused about the whole Rotten Tomatoes thing because they're like, you'll go through and there are a lot of reviewers in there who are just like some random dude. And this is one of those situations. And it's just like, I get a little frustrated that Rotten Tomatoes has opened it up so much. And I kind of wish we only um, reacted to Cream of the Crop, honestly, which is their like, uh basically the reviewers that are from major publications and things like that uh, we do reviews you know um <laughs> and I like that you know it matters on something like Rotten Tomatoes but it does seem like any old person with any old opinion can hop in there um it's made the
0: site worthless
1: because it's just yeah. now popular opinion. It's the same thing
0: that happened this year with Film Independent, with the Independent Spirit Awards. Same thing that happened to Critics' Choice a few years back. As soon as you let everyone in you're just going to get the most populous basic take ever. Like if, if film Twitter likes a movie, then it's at a hundred percent being high on Rotten Tomatoes means nothing. I remember back in like 2015, it was like a big deal. It would be on the cover of the DVD. I remember Brooklyn specifically like really made it a key part of its advertising. Now Ghostbusters just every...
2: 2016 had it. It's like a yeah. badge of honor. <laughs> and now cool. it's just, Trust us.
0: now it's just everything has like hundred percent or really highly rated. And it's just like, well, pretty meaningless at this point but like to be this petty towards paddington 2 is like such an abuse of like the critical power and it's just like Mm. it's genuinely a joke even if you feel this way i don't care that you feel this way about paddington 2 you reviewed this thing in 2021 just to knock it down just to get people talking just to get people going to your site like it's genuinely quite a joke no offense
2: it's it's, it's horrible i think it's genuinely horrible um, I stopped caring about Rotten Tomatoes a long time ago. I, I, I honestly avoided everything about this guy. I didn't want the temptation to give him another click because I don't think he deserves it. It's I think this encapsulates like everything wrong with rating movies, with celebrity whatever, Like not even 15 minutes, like 15 seconds of fame on Twitter. It's, it's futile. And the fact that so many people gave him power during this and and i actually like what you you said this paul um earlier when we were talking about new order but something that i really agree with is the everyone has to get on one bandwagon it's like oh well like the first ratings and stuff i remember people losing their mind when paddington 2 came out which i do believe it's a lovely film lovely film but this joke because it's a joke this joke that it's the best film of all time back when it was released people started defending it and taking it very seriously for Paddington 2, a movie that's supposed to be lighthearted and fun and all about good, like the wholesomeness, just pure wholesomeness. And you're having this type of reaction and people starting to shit on Citizen Kane and whatever. It's It's the type of validation that I had and I was looking for when I was like 17 or 18 with the movies I watched, and now I'm so over it. And so, seeing it happen on a much larger scale, of like, oh, Paddington 2 isn't the best film of all time. It's, it's oh, it's not good. I'm not validated. No, what do you care? Why can't you just enjoy the film? Why do you have to shit on every other movie? Uh, it's, uh, it's, that's the internet. That's the internet now. It's hyperboles, it's trying to make a difference in the most like cynical way like honestly when you were reading that thing i can just see him smiling and smirking while writing it like <laughs> i can't wait for everyone to react to this and he got what he wanted and good for him i guess um i hope that's the last we hear from him He's probably going to try another stunt whatever he wants to do next to stay relevant in some way but you yeah.
0: I'll say it's quite sad looking around his site, not to give him credit, but like he's one of the few who actually will review old stuff and actually goes out of his way to like see stuff not in the mainstream. So like, I, I mean, that was good. Like, I wish you just did that casually, but no, this is just like, you know, not great. I'm not going to say too much on here. I'm not going to not gonna tear him apart too much because this is a real man, but uh, you're, not, you're not the type of critic I would uh, respect or like.
1: But on a side note, no movie should have a hundred percent. No movie's perfect. Um, Cause like, okay. So what Rotten Tomatoes theoretically is based on how it's done compared to like Metacritic or anything like that. It's supposed to be if someone watches this movie, this is the percent, you know, if a hundred people watch this movie, this is the percentage of that amount of people that will like this movie. So like you see Corella it's got like a 74%. So like one in three or one in four people or one in four people won't like it. Um, it's kind of how I've always read it. When a movie is like 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm always like, I probably won't like this. <laughs> I will be one of those 5% um, because it feels like it's just exactly what we were talking about with, uh, you know, the letterbox effect, but overall, just in general, it's like, oh, if all critics like it, I feel like it's just going to be fine. It's going to be pleasant. Um, it's not going to like really do anything. Um, I really like that uh, 60 to um, let's say like 85% range. If a movies in that, I'm like, okay, this is probably something I'm going to like. Um, unless it's something like The Father, which just people like knew it was good and just gave it a... <laughs> like you can even read some of the reviews of that and I like you know, it was really emotionally brutal and I didn't enjoy it. However, five star, but that is correct. <laughs> and what I'm saying is I'm biased. <laughs> and that Anthony Hopkins is in fact, the father is, is in fact, the father.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why have we not made a meme of like, what God was that show? Um, you are the father. And we just put like <laughs> Anthony Hopkins from the father there definitely need to get on that. Well, oh, God, with that said, um, Let's transition to a film. I think, Paul, you think this is one of the best films of all time, so we'll get to it. Let's talk about Hulu's Plan B. I'll go ahead and kick us off here. Again, I'm very sad Alina isn't here because I know Alina has a lot to say about this, Um, but I will say this is about two girls. Uh, who come from relatively strict parents, the parents are out of town, they host a party, one of the girls have sex, and they need to get the Plan B pill, and they live in South Dakota, and they find out that that's much harder than they would originally think it is. Um, this is clearly coming off like Smart. I think you look at, I, I wouldn't even necessarily say it started with Smart, but that type of comedy, teen comedy, I think has revolutionized the genre and like, you see so many films playing off of that style and playing off the idea and like that personality. Um, and I, I don't think this is like particularly even a strong one. I think a lot of the comedy lands really flat, uh, especially like references. They just, there's so many like references that just like, they don't work. They just come off really cringy and undated or like a, they immediately date the film. Um, the acting is fine. You know, the acting isn't anything incredible. Um, you know it's a pretty standard I would say like road trip book smart inspired comedy movie but I will say I think this film undeniably works when it comes to like social commentary and when it comes to purpose I don't think anyone can fault this film for its ideas of representation um, and its messaging about the how hard it is at you know, for people in rural towns and rural states sometimes to get these pills because you don't think it's that hard. And specifically towards the end, there's one scene. I don't know if you could call it really like a twist, but like there's this development that just like genuinely kind of took my breath away and genuinely kind of stunned me. Um, And it's a call to action in that sense. And I think it works there, but I wouldn't say like, this is as funny even as like, or, you know, as memorable as like, yes, God, yes. Obviously book smart, I would say I love, and I know Paul, you don't like that. So we'll, we'll probably get into it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I like this movie for what it is. It's nothing incredible, um, but, you know, nothing offensively bad either. So I I respect the film.
2: Yeah, and I agree with with pretty much everything you said, actually. Um, Teen sex comedies I've never been super into. And they, they always have had, like, that one movie for, for each generation. I think it's, like, the 80s, it was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. For the 90s, I don't really know, honestly, but, like, into the 2000s, Bad was the movie. It was like, oh, every, every coming-of-age teen movie has to be super raunchy with, like, we can have more excessive nudity now and other things. And then you get Booksmart, which changes the game a bit because it was compared to Superbad a but it's more restrained in terms of like sexual references. And it's more about the diversity, the openness. And Plan B, yeah, it's it feels almost like a ripoff in a way um, with some stylistic choices. I was struggling to find information about Natalie Morales in the sense that there's another movie that's coming out that premiered like uh, South by Southwest or like one of those West Sundance maybe. Um, in Berlin called Language Lessons, and I can't tell which one was shot first. I think it just
0: was because that I believe I haven't seen Language Lessons, I believe that's like about COVID.
2: Okay, because and, and this one actually had something COVID related. I was reading into the IMDb trivia. And it says, during an interview with Jen White, blah, 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 Natalie Morales said the movie's two lead actors had to do their chemistry auditions over Zoom because of COVID-19 precautions, which is why I was confused. Because I thought, okay, this is coming out first. Seems like a normal movie probably was shot before COVID. And then actually, no? So she shot like two movies in 2020? Good for her? (laughs) Impressive, for sure. That is shocking
0: that this was made during COVID.
2: Yeah? Wow. When? Or, or maybe it was a fast turnaround. I honestly don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is the first of the two. Um, I'm kind of curious to watch Language Lessons because I do feel this is very, not amateurish, but you can feel it's it's an early feature by someone who hasn't really directed that much. She's done, I think of some TV episodes here and there, but there's some there's some moments that are, it's very genuine it's very hard for me to hate. And, and I enjoyed quite a lot of it. But the pacing is completely off. This felt like over two hours. At one point I was like, is this going to end? Oh, no, there's 40 minutes left. Yay. Um, it's, it, it just keeps changing like that. Um, some of the scenes are just weirdly edited. The use of music is forced. Nothing comes very organic in terms of filmmaking. But the two stars made the film for me. I think the chemistry of Kuo and Victoria Morales <clears throat> Sorry, I think they're wonderful. They make the film, um, but everything else—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's enjoyable. It has a good message, but that's kind of it. Just like a very surface level, just another teen comedy. They shot this well, thing
0: in October, November of last year. That's like a that's- wildly quick turnaround.
2: It's um- you can <laughs> you can see that.
1: Uh, You guys are a little more positive than me in that I hated this. Um, I hated every second of it. Um, I felt like it was really cynical in its diversity, especially the um, lesbian romance just felt like, okay, we'll just add in this, like, you know, for the queers, now no one- What a surprise. (laughs) It's like, there's just so many moments where, like, I was just like, this is cynically written. (laughs) Um, It's written specifically to end up on something like Hulu. Like, you can almost feel like they're sitting around and they're like, okay, so we're going to write it about, you know, these people and we're going to do this and it's going to be about this and, you know, all of the things that like just feel like box checking to like excite film Twitter. Um, It kind of reminded me of what was that awful film from last year? Happiest Season? Was that what it was called? Um, yes, the, uh, lesbian Christmas movie, the same kind of thing of just like people allow a bad movie to push through to like, it's fine because it's doing representation. Um, and you know, I wasn't a particularly huge fan of Booksmart, but I would watch Booksmart a hundred times before watching this again. Um, you know, everything you guys said. But I think we're skipping over, there's a really weird semi-sexual assault scene in the middle of this film that, and it really just took me out in the rest of the film. I was just sitting and, uh, you know, hate watching at that point. Um, where the characters are like, oh no, it's fine that this man wants to, you know, uh, force me to have oral sex. And it's, it, it, there's no, reason for it you know i I talked before the podcast with you guys about like i have some issues with like the overall logistics of the movie who the character was um even who her mom is um you know with the twist endings and um things like that of how she would react i just i really overall struggled with what this film was trying to say um i i Natalie Morales is really interesting to me um, because I really like when I see her show up in things. And then I never find her to be particularly good. (laughs) Um, I remember that she was in um, the Santa Clarita Diet. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, I love her. She's so great in Parks and Rec. And then she shows up and she's like probably the worst character. And every second she's on screen, I was annoyed. <laughs> and um, That's a bit unfair. I feel like, you know, everyone... I like quite... that
2: show. Oh, well. Oh. It says I mean, something about like, you, I guess. <laughs> I've only seen the first I, season, but I loved it. In a very cheap way. It's like it.
1: one of those shows that I remember I would binge, and then I don't think about until the next season came out, which is exactly why it got canceled early. Um, but uh, yeah, it, there's that um actually she was great in happily though i will say that um she was the shining spot of probably one of the worst movies i've seen this year um although i think i gave happily a higher rating than this (laughs) so that's where we're at um yeah no this was this is just i can't find anything and it really does suck that alina's not here because this was the movie she wanted to talk about um because i don't have any positives and I can also be a little brooder because Alina's not here. I would have been a lot nicer and been like, "Oh no, it was fine. Um, no, it was it was terrible. Um, don't watch this. Do not watch this. Stay for away. this
0: for the sake of fairness. <laughs> I'll quickly read Alina's quick review she posted on Twitter. And I quote: uh, uh, "Plan B was so funny. I was genuinely laughing for so much of it. I freaking loved it. Brown girls fuck, and they should be allowed to access sexual health care. So or have access to sexual health care. So." Oh yeah, that's what Paul the, stands uh, against. Paul stands against brown girls fucking and I having se- no, access
1: to sexual health care. I have no problem with that. I just think that uh, if you're gonna, sounds do that like story, it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like maybe people should write good movies. And also, like oh, I think a white guy too wrote that now. So. Yeah, you're <laughs> too much now. I will <laughs> say I find it hilarious to
0: bring up the queer relationship because I wasn't gonna mention it by name, but like. At the very start of the film, I was like, there's one, you know, it hits all the li- lists on the check, all the boxes on the checklist, but there's one missing. Huh, I find yeah. it strange that this doesn't have it. And then I was like, oh, okay, there, we're doing it. <laughs> there it is. That was like the
2: first thing I thought as soon as it was like, oh, yes, I have to meet with Logan. And it's like, you never see Logan. It's like, oh, I know where this is going. Oh, I know where this is going.
1: Yeah. And it's just, it's just a very frustrating movie. And I'm, I'm getting frustrated with, uh, this kind of filmmaking that's like quickly done. Um, you know, it, definitely during COVID, um, that makes sense. And I'm not going to give it slack. Sorry. We're, it was in October. Uh, you didn't have to make a movie and risk everyone's health to make this. People could have died making this movie. <laughs> um, I was on set in October and it is not as safe as everyone thought it would would be, like, they had you test like three days before and I'm like, I could have gone to a hundred parties and then they don't test you again. So you're on set for like three days. Um, I work in one of
0: California's great high schools, like work. and I'm not going to say too much, but like, yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not quite the system people think it is. Yeah. It's, it is not
1: safe. Um, So it's It's hard to stay apart. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Especially when you're supposed to be sucking fake dicks. Also, Jesus does, like, one like of the, the worst, worst looking. yeah. <laughs>
2: just cheap, uh, look like a fungus. Just, what's <laughs> happening here?
1: Uh, well, and even like the uh, there's just so many jokes that, like, throughout that just really uh, are you know exactly what you said, Carson. Are just they're dated already, and when they're not dated, they're flat. I mean, I would say it needs a comedy punch-up, but, like, you would have to punch up the whole thing. Like, um, But I'm glad Alina liked it. And, <laughs> um, and you know, that's uh, a positive, uh, <laughs> you know. Shout-out to Alina.
0: Shout-out to his family, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, and um, if the producer is listening, because he did retweet that thing from Alina, um, I'm sorry that your movie terrible.
0: <laughs> it's not terrible. I,
1: it, I Mr. liked Mr. it. To, to, yeah, to Mr. quote Mr. Carson Producer. with peace and love, it's dog shit.
0: <laughs> not dog shit. I respect what you tried to do. It worked. I respect it was fine. your bad
2: movie. <laughs> I will say actually one thing that I was thinking of when you were talking about like the, the super weird BJ scene, but like in general, this movie tries to be subversive, with like misogynist behavior as well there's a scene I think right before actually when these girls are in the parking lot going to a store and there's like man cat calling them and then they like stop and go actually talk to them and they keep making like sexual remarks They're like oh but that turns into a joke but that was super uncomfortable I was like I don't think any girl would do that and I can see them like the writers trying to empower them in some way I mean, that moment I was like, no, this is just dangerous. You just just go, go away, just, just stop talking to this drunk man. It's weird, it's very weird. Um, and there's a whole even drug sequence that again was also in Booksmart, but Booksmart actually made it really clever and almost original, I would say. And instead in this one, it lacked energy, it lacked vibe, it lacked effects. It, it lacked, like honestly, I, I, this was probably shot in two weeks tops maybe free just to give it a bit thing and probably like I don't know months of pre-production it feels like a cheap job um, yeah I well, not why she made it not maybe she had like a, a contract with Hulu watch out the
0: director's here oh no <laughs> telling you how cheap the production is
2: <laughs> no uh, it's, it's, even the it, color no, it... even the color grading is just flat What's what's the matter with movies just not having that much color nowadays like and then, no then like this the saturation.
0: cheapest neon light scenes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. This music is good. Well, <laughs> well, I don't know when <laughs> they're in the bands. Like, oh, it's
1: all right. Well, the other thing that's interesting is, I think the strongest part of Booksmart is its casting, and specifically there is no character that's kind of like Billy Lord's character um, and not just like that specific character, but a true, like, um, you know, comedy relief character. Um, and I think that when this movie gets more emotional, uh, the fact that they also have to carry all of the weight of the comedy at the same time really hurts the film because there is a point in book smart where the main characters are now uh, totally dramatic and we move to like you know the additional characters but this just relies on these characters um to take all the emotional and comedic heft so the back half of this movie is really rough at points because they're just jumping back and forth between even lines sometimes um but yeah um I can't wait to see the rest of her filmography. Keep going, Natalie. <laughs> Language lessons will be interesting. We'll probably be reviewing that later. A Zoom movie? Podcast. I just read that. It's a Zoom. It's a Zoom mumblecore movie. Literally sounds like my hell. <laughs> Which
2: is why I'm like, going to inject you watching tra- it by putting <laughs> it onto the <laughs> That's schedule. That's my saw trap.
1: I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, <laughs> just be like, nope. Reverse bear
0: trap me, it's fine. (laughs) Well, if you want to watch Plan B for yourself, it is streaming on Hulu, but that's not the only movie coming to streaming now. I mean, it's not official that this is coming to streaming, but one of the biggest pieces of news this week was MGM being bought out by Amazon. Are you guys excited to see No Time to Die on Amazon Prime?
1: Let's go!
2: Hey, Um, chill out like 50 quid for it. Yeah?
1: So, yeah, um... Not any of the stuff with, uh, you know, the unions or anything like that. I'm not going to talk about that because it's talked about ad infinitum and also is completely right. But um, Amazon Prime still has the worst interface. And this is not like a, you know, uh, (laughs) a point where it's like, okay, well, I'll deal with it because it's Amazon. The UI of Amazon Prime is horrifying and i literally read it and i was like cool all of these movies are going to be on here and i'm going to have no clue that they are um it's so weird when you're going through amazon prime sometimes and you'll find a movie and you're like that's on here or a show and you're like what i've been looking for something like this and you guys won't even show me in my recommendations you won't show me when i'm looking at the genres um i don't know how they've set it up but it's terrible and it's really upsetting to know that all of these movies you know all the James Bond classics and all that stuff are just going to get tossed into like the garbage bin of Amazon Prime if they want to fix it because now they just put a shit ton of money in and maybe that's what is coming um with things like The Boys um and other shows I'm sure that are on Amazon (laughs) Invincible Oh. oh yeah um which I watched two episodes of um I wish it'd been better. Um hey, good thing after after episode one, you were like, let's do it on the pod. <laughs> yeah, well, I, the first episode is great, actually. I would just say watch the first episode and then don't watch the rest. Uh, the first episode's really fun. Um but yeah, after you know, they're having some successes. Um I'm actually later today going to um Planet Vought, which is they're doing like a Planet Hollywood style drive-in for the boys as a big emmy push so like they're they're planning to like start doing stuff oh god (laughs) mazel they're having some successes i do think that they'll start putting money in and this mgm may be a sign of that but the ui has to change um so that's where i'm at it's like when i saw that all i could think was cool some of my favorite movies are going to disappear into the nothingness um which has been a real problem right now trying to convince people to watch movies. And if it's not on a streaming site, they won't spend the $3. Um, Which is now becoming this weird, uh, you know, crapshoot on whether a movie is going to be remembered by the generation after us. Um, Because streaming is going to become the new, like, you know, if it's not on there, it doesn't exist. Um, And that'll be sad. (laughs) Because it... Contracts are what decide whether or not a movie will be remembered now, instead of you know like how we used to. <laughs>
2: it's not just the it's not just the UI for Prime. I think everything about it is terrible. Um, I have both like my personal profile is still the Amazon Prime UK, and my family has the Italian one, but both of them suck. I try to watch some movies on the UK one, and sometimes I have like three or four different versions of the same movie. Why? Why do a lot of movies on the Italian one don't have English subtitles or English language even, just like the original one? It's confusing. I think quality control is horrible in that. And when I read the news, I was like, ooh, I hope MGM can have a bit of control over how movies get added I do really hope they improve the platform, because as it is now. It's, is it a garbage bin? Yeah, I think it's a, to me, it's always been like a bargain bin where it's just gigantic. You never know what you're going to find. And there's a lot, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of shit. There's different qualities, different versions, there's different cuts. It's a mess. And I hope they end up doing kind of like an HBO Max thing with like their major franchise or something where it's not just exclusive new streaming, but maybe it's for a week or two weeks, or maybe you have to pay premium like Disney or, or it's going both, I don't know. I'm, I'm neither positive nor negative. I kind of like read the news, I was like, okay, fine. Um, because I don't really know what the impact will be outside of, like you said, Carson, just streaming is everything now. Everything has to be on streaming services. Everything will be forgotten. Like Paul said, it's depressing, but that's that's the world we live in. And yeah, there's little we can do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this, I mean, obviously it's not great. Like that everything is merging into like the same four companies. And I agree, like the UI is terrible on Amazon. I think this is a little bit less impactful than some of these other mergers because MGM doesn't really make a ton of features, Um, or at least that many really good ones coming out this year, like just looking at the calendar, they have they have actually quite a bit this year compared to previous years. If you look back through their filmography, but like the big ones are No Time to Die in October, House of Gucci in November, shout out Jared Leto, and then Soggy Bottom also in November, the Paul Thomas Anderson feature. But like other than that, I think it's a little bit easier because, like, oh no, the Adams Family too might go straight to streaming oh boy you know it's not it's not a sad news really but like yeah we're into this point where like genuinely everything needs to be streaming like you said and I mean it's it's both positive and negative I'm happy that their collection might be available to stream on like a reasonable platform I'm excited to see some of these older films that maybe it's been harder to find but like as far as new releases is it good is it bad I mean, I think it's just kind of the sign a sign of the times. I don't know how much you can really fight against it, even if it is bad. So, I mean, I don't know. This news, it didn't really strike me as much as some of the other previous news, like Fox selling to Disney or whatever. But, I mean, it still is, you know, I think it's just a sign
1: of the times, really. Yeah, well, the good thing is, though, 100% you'll hear that uh, Lashana Lynch will be getting her own uh, W uh, 007 show. Because that was one of the main things they talked about was that uh, they'll be moving Bond into television, which 100% (laughs) means they're going to take that character um, because you're going to just keep Bond going. But, you know, any way to spread out that franchise. Um, Yeah, I think Bond is the real get here, although their back catalog is amazing, too. Um, It will be interesting. I'm a huge Bond fan. Um, but I kind of uh, I don't know I'm curious to see what they do with it pretty soon Um, because it you know wrapping up with uh, Daniel Craig I don't know if they'll continue like they used to I kind of hope they do and just like act like but he's so old now like Bond himself Um, I just don't want another reboot like that's my main thing I don't need to see the early days for the hundredth time. I
0: think um, no time to die will be very curious. And yeah, I think that's going to help out a lot, kind of find the direction if like not to get into awards chances. Cause I think this, for some reason this year has been unbearable with early talks of award seasons, but like, if it gets a best picture nom, if it does well, I think we're probably just going to see a continuation of what it has happened it's winning, before. I mean, if it's okay. And it's not like that incredible and it doesn't get that huge of a reaction, I think it's pretty safe to say we're gonna see some evolution or change towards it.
1: It will win an Oscar, regardless. Um well, uh, sound. Feel, sound, yeah. I feel well, no, um Billy, Billy Eilish for uh
0: Will she Oh like you're two, right actually That's two percent. years
1: old and she's facing Gaga. Like okay, yeah, no, she's she's winning. Um Good she's song. winning because yeah, it it's fine. I didn't
2: Bond has to find has to win.
1: Uh yeah, it's like it's You know tradition um if bond comes out so um and also there's no way they're not going to give you know this ingenue um the oscar when like you know old ass gaga who's already got an oscar (laughs) that was just for your face yeah i know (laughs) Um, no uh yeah no she's she's definitely winning that's like all i'm gonna say is don't underestimate how
0: much of the academy are monsters you know just saying god (laughs) Um, the Bond I mean, has already beat Gaga, so it is possible.
1: Yeah, actually, that's true. Actually, a very For tragic. Prob-
0: a bad Bond song so- be a good Gaga song about sexual assault.
1: So, yes, but it was also, you know, the worst. Um, but at least um, Sam Smith said, uh, what, first gay person <laughs> to uh, yep. win an Oscar? Very first. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so good.
2: I'm, I'm expecting with the new Bond, like this, this MGM acquisition and Amazon, I don't, I don't think they're going to have the balls to reboot everything. Like, like the old days, like just, you know, a new actor in a new universe or whatever. I think it's they're going the universe route, like you said. I think we're going we're to get the TV show. We're going to get movies related to it. I can see Daniel Craig staying as like the new head of MI6 or whatever. It's, it's. Ugh. I'm Amazon's, dreading it. Isn't Amazon doing the Lord of the Rings show? Yeah. Oh, oh.
0: yeah. We're totally going to get a TV show. What are we talking about? Yeah, I also forgot about that. I did
1: too. Um, <laughs> I, I, I $400 million or something Jesus. like that. Uh, They're yeah. Um, that is what's interesting, though, is they're spending so much money, and I really expected a redesign at this point. And I know I'm harping on it, but it really is just like uh, when uh, when I go look for something to watch and I don't have a particular idea, it goes HBO Max, Hulu, Netflix, Shudder, anything else, Amazon Prime. <laughs> um, like, Because once I go to Amazon Prime, I'm like, I'll be looking for like two hours and then I will 100% just be watching an episode of Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> that's it. That's all that's going to happen. Mine um, goes Criterion Channel, HBO Max, Netflix. Oh, I forgot about Criterion. Hulu, mm-hmm. um, Prime. I don't usually actually look at criterion though if i'm just looking for something to watch because criterion i go in expecting to watch something on criterion
0: there's too much if you try to browse i every month i'm like i'm going to get into all the series that they do because they do great like curation of series but then there's just too much and then you get depressed that you're going to die before seeing all that great cinema and that's just bad so it's a dangerous game (laughs) Well, another dangerous game is apparently the fashion industry. Apparently, you can die very easily in the fashion industry. Let's talk about our last film, our last, our main event for today's episode, Sound the Bell. We have Cruella releasing simultaneously in theaters and on Disney Plus with premium access. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Paul, for the last four months, every single day, I've heard nothing but where's the screener for Cruella? Are we getting a screener for Cruella? I want to watch Cruella. Did this live up to your hype? I did not get a screener for Cruella. Don't well, um, look at me. Look at the fucking influencers <laughs> who did nothing and then tweeted that there was good gay representation and embarrassed themselves
1: and betrayed the LGBT uh, plus actually, community. Okay, like here's the, the fucking spineless here's the assholes they are. Um, okay. Here's the here's the funniest thing about uh, that is someone later posted and they were like, was there a straight man in Cruella? And to which I say maybe not. <laughs> um... You know, Cruella was really interesting because uh, I've always been a big fan of the Disney uh, villains. Um, And it was one of those things when I heard that this was announced, I was immediately like, this could be cool. This could be the worst thing in the world. Um, And I think she, uh, there's a couple characters that I think are uh, open to a reimagining. I think Cruella was a great choice. I think Ursula you know they've been talking about that now honestly the most important one to do a <laughs> reimagining of because she has a whole backstory they don't talk about um, you know it's uh, there's a couple others that are like and then Maleficent which I think was a poor choice um, depending on what you think of the movies um, it's just not really a character that it's just pure evil so giving them any sort of motivation is weird flip to this Ursula or this uh, Cruella is um they set it up into the 1970s I think the original book is set in the 20s um, you know she's not wearing fur anymore she's not chain smoking I missed that green smoke Um, and she's kind of now a like grifter come fashionista instead of like this you know insane serial killer Miranda Priestly style character and actually they take that position and move it up to um Emma Thompson's character uh the Baroness and it's interesting that they kind of change who she is almost entirely it's not even close to the same character but in a way that works um I just have a couple problems that feel a little who are your people Han Solo um, especially the, uh, I don't know if you guys saw it. The, uh, mid credit scene is almost embarrassing. Uh, because also it's like one of those wink and nods that makes no sense for the movie. <laughs> like you really have to be like, so this is in no way going to lead to 101 Dalmatians now <laughs> because she's not going to see these puppies. Uh, I won't spoil it, but, um, you know, there is some dumb things. Um, the Dalmatians kill Cruella's mom, um, which is one of like, it's like one of those things that I, I didn't even think about it being dumb when I watched it. Um, like I just like read it as, you know, what it was. And then I like, got out of theater. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Did those Dalmatians kill Dar- Cruella's mom? Is that her motivation? And a necklace? That doesn't actually matter at all. Um, that That's one of the things that like, so I walked out of the movie disappointed um, and then I stepped back and I was like, wait, this was a Disney movie. And they kind of went balls to the walls insane. And also COVID pushed this back to where I'd seen this trailer so many times. There were so many moments that I had pieced together to where when they happened, um, I kind of knew what was coming. Uh, specifically there's a scene with a vault and I knew 100% what was happening. But if I hadn't, it would have been one of my favorite scenes in the movie Um, if I hadn't seen that trailer so many times, uh, which you you can have a whole conversation about, let's stop doing anything past the first 30 minutes of a movie. Uh, Actually, great point, new order, perfect trailer because it only shows like the first 20 minutes and then just kind of cuts it together correctly. Um, You couldn't do that though because it would have this the little girl who's a terrible actress um, in her like god-awful Sia wig. Uh, (laughs) Like I could not see it other than uh, like her um, alive era of um, Sia that whole time. Um, There are things that are kind of silly in this, uh, but overall it was a fun time. I think it will be one that like, last, I'm excited for the sequel that 100% is coming. And if the rumors are true that they're going to do half Glenn Close, half Emma uh, Stone, and do it as a prequel sequel, um, that's really fun to me. Um, and that's all. That's all I got. What do you guys think?
2: Yeah, and Glenn Close was one of the producers as well, which just surprised me just reading the credits at the end. Um, I went in very skeptical, even a bit cynical probably because I don't, I've probably liked any of those live action Disney movies. I think the only two I would save uh, just thinking about it are Pete's Dragon and the Cinderella film. I think those two are the strongest because they understand the source material and branch out in new and interesting directions. Maybe even Jungle Book. Let's put Jungle Book in as well by Jon Favreau. And I saw this one, I was not, I, I didn't know what to expect. I just know like okay people compare it to Joker and what and I was like ah okay let's see it's over 2 hours long uh, but Craig Gillespie or Gillespie whatever directed it made um, I mean, Gillespie. Gillespie oh oh. Uh, see <laughs> he directed uh, Itonia and uh, Lars and the Real Girl which are Two movies that I really, really enjoy. So I was like, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's watch it for the podcast as well. And I've only seen it, like, finished watching it two hours ago, more or less. I would probably say this might be the best Disney live action prequel, remake, whatever, that we've gotten since this new rebranding of their of, of their movies, in a way. I think this was a delight. And like you said, Paul, this, this, just, just sitting back and thinking, this is a Disney film. Like if I think about the Lion King or the Aladdin remakes, like this one took big risks. This one had energy. This one was vibrant. This was so colorful. I was like, oh look, there's colors. I forgot colors existed. Like we talked about Plan B having I mean, this dull color grade. I thought this was delightful. Um, the costumes, the the cinematography, the music. Um, they have some of the most obvious stupid needle drops, constantly, like for the first 40 minutes, it's just like music after music, song after song, but it never really annoyed me, I was just like in for the ride, um, It. I, I really enjoyed this, I really did, I am a big fan of camp, I love campy movies, I love when someone's making something just wanting people to have fun, and you can tell everyone here was having fun, and that just trumps many other problems that i do have with this film um like you said some some very silly moments Uh, there's some really dodgy cgi i don't know how disney for being this juggernaut of a studio how they still have some of the weirdest cgi here and there and they had time to work on this um, these dogs, these poor dogs who keep going from, oh, look, it's a, it's a cute doggy, to these weird CGI creatures that just float around in the space, and it's never too bad. Like, if it were more cartoonish, it probably could work, but it's just very Uncanny Valley-like. Um, and the, And I did feel the length of this, I'm not gonna lie. There was like one moment when there was the most obvious plot twist which I read a mile away. It's like, oh, this is a big revelation. I was just kind of starting to zone out a bit because it, it is still like over two hours long. Well, no, two hours because it's like 15 minutes of credits. But overall, I really dug this. I was shocked by how much I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I echo that point. If you listen to the Clapper podcast, Extended Universe, you will know that I'm not a big Disney fan. I genuinely dislike them. Um, and I was not excited for this movie at all. And it turns out it's quite good. Yes, it's not perfect. The CGI is dodgy. I think some of the character evolutions are really, really weird. Specifically when she first becomes Cruella and she starts treating like her friends like shit. It's even the characters in the film are like, what is happening? Like, why are you talking differently? And I don't think the film fully justifies or explains that enough um but I think overall yeah this movie is stylish there's a sense of camp and queer camp to it that I think is really undeniable I think even just looking at this year overall this is a clear favorite when it comes to like and I'm not speaking awards I'm speaking quality here like the best costume design of the year the best like makeup and hairstyling of the year you know it's genuinely quite stunning stuff yes though again the CGI does look quite terrible um, no I mean I like the story. I think it captivated me especially for the longer runtime. this didn't feel like a super long movie. Um, it's just I mean this is pure fun and I think it's a good reimagining of this character that builds on the established lore while also building an actually engaging story that evolves it into something new. Um, I'm not a huge fan of these uh, live action remakes also. Um, I like Maleficent. I like Cinderella. Pete's Dragon is an interesting shout. I guess I'd have to rewatch that. I know I hate the animated version, so the fact that that one was competent at least was you know something special. Um, but no, I I like this film. I, I was genuinely it genuinely surprised me how much of a fan I was of it.
1: Yeah, the one thing I will say that I didn't particularly like, um, I did not care for the the Jasper character at all, and he really graded me after a while because when he would show up I knew that the movie was going to uh, get emotional because that was the character that was and it was so funny you would cut from Artie who is only in a couple scenes but I found to be some of the funniest lines. Um, his back and forth with Cruella um, constantly enjoyed Um you know, there's the part where she's trying to convince him to come, uh, help her out. And she's like, you may die. And I was like, wait, this, this back and forth is good. Let's keep this up. Um, and then they'd cut back to Jasper and he's like, you're just not the woman I remember. I'm like, I don't care. Like, um, which is like, I guess the, um, you know, the straightest moment in a very gay movie. (laughs) It's just like the emotionality of this, uh, person. Um, Yeah. And when you guys talk about runtime, the one part I do notice, and it always comes back to Jasper and Horace, who I think are just in the movie a little too long. Um, You know, when they were in prison, I was like, "Mm, this movie's been on a while. Um, (laughs) Like there was a specific like, okay. And they're like having another conversation and they're like, she's dead. I was like, I just, I can't. Um, But but overall, I think it was a lot of fun. Um, I think that there's Uh, you know, a definite uh, thing that's interesting also going back to the letterbox and overall. People keep saying, but she's a dog killer. A, she's not a dog killer in this. Um, Mild spoilers. Um, I don't think you assumed that Disney, who would not let her smoke, would let her kill dogs. But um, that, uh, you know, it's a weird thing that people are just writing off the movie. The number one review... um Cruella up until release day was fuck this dog killer and it had like it was like a half star (laughs) it was like okay cool guys I don't understand this like moralness of the same people who like you know simp for like Scorsese and his like (laughs) or like um love the spiral and saw movies (laughs) it's like okay what's your morality like random people who are like kind of bad in famous literature are like hold on what is this
0: blasphemy jigsaw would never kill a dog hold on now the dog would never die in a
1: saw film we don't know that i've I've seen i've seen plenty of jigsaw (laughs) we've we've we have not gotten his prequel series which will come um (laughs) <laughs> it'll be what like do you mean, we've seen it all we've seen the prequels of him we've whole seen no, no, sequels no, no, no. prequels. They'll, they'll, yeah. be li- they'll be like no he was actually a teenager when he started this and it'll be like that's what i hey i've read jigsaw rising yeah exactly <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> uh, with some random foreign actor who never does anything again um but yeah i i do think that like it's very interesting, especially um, Anita and Roger um, is a weird aspect of the movie that they never really figure out, especially Roger, who, I love that actor in what we do in the shadows. He is terrible in this. He doesn't like he doesn't feel like Roger at all. Um, you know, Kirby, how Baptiste like is Anita. I'm fine with that. Like she plays the character correctly um but he is so off on who he's supposed to be he never has moments with Cruella really and then all of a sudden they're like oh he's gonna write the song about how she's evil and I'm like this woman has done nothing to you she just gave you a puppy <laughs>
2: um yeah that's the most confusing part of it all to yeah it's it's just definitely
1: like- they wanted Crue- okay so actually when she's when they started having the singing part in the middle of the movie I was like, if they start singing Cruella de Vil as like a 70s rock anthem, I was like, I am so into this. I don't care that it doesn't make any sense and that Roger didn't write it. Um, And then they sing some random song and I was like, no, no, please don't. (laughs) Oh, That actually is another moment that I felt the slog, which is sucks because it is like a crazy cool scene. It's just the song is not great um, and should have been. Or just, you know, use one of the 100,000 songs you already rented. <laughs> got rights for just have them do a cover. I say um, like some
0: of those songs
1: that they got like
0: stood out as a little bit. Some of the musical choices here I felt was a little bit too forced. Trying yeah, a little I too agree. hard to be stylized.
1: Um, well, there's always an interesting thing uh, that I think of with these kind of movies is like what like <laughs> As a kid, I always associate some of these songs with like movies I watched as a kid or like whatever. And I was like, wow, kids who watch this is just going to be every single one of these songs is Cruella, Um, you know, these 12 year olds that'll watch it because they haven't seen any of the other stuff that would use these songs. Um, But yeah, like I remember really liking Boots Are Made For Walking in there. Um, I can't remember which Beatles song was it Come Together. That they do a cover of. Yes. Yes. That was the one moment. There was that and another sequence um, when they're doing the robbery inside uh, the Baroness's uh, fashion studio, not her house. That I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, guys, let's let's tone it down because it always is a mic drop. It's never like feels like it's a um, you know in universe kind of song or anything.
2: Yes, and you can feel that they were clearly wanted to use those songs in some of the moments to make, like, the beats work, but to actually have certain moments work with the beat, they edit the scene a bit earlier in a different way or just stretch it out a bit. Like the uh, when she's, like, the changing the, um, the... Like, she's doing the freaking... The name isn't coming. In the shop. So he's changing the costume and the dress, and everything's working. And there's like some weird editing there just to make it fit with the song on specific beats. But, oh, but other yeah. than that, yeah, it's, it's, I laughed, I think, the hardest when it's not a spoiler, but like when it ends with sympathy for the devil, because like that's like the one song that's missing from this entire movie. And it's the most obvious one. And ah, there it is. Yeah, they're using it. Yeah. Um,
1: i mean there's and you could definitely nitpick this movie um and that's you know i will see it again and i definitely will nitpick but um because i think there's a lot of weirdness like for example the baroness has to be the stupidest character in all of film like (laughs) for some of the things to happen she has to like you know, and I remember there's one line where she's talking to Mark Strong and she's like, do you think it could be? And I'm like, of course it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> how could it not be? Who else has that hair? Um, and it's like, and he's like, no, 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 it's not. Uh, they also don't explain that. Um, <laughs> for one horrifying moment, <laughs> I was like, wait, is her dad one of the po- or one of the Dalmatians? And like that was, I was like, I was trying to figure out why she was half Dalmatian because that's what it's supposed to be. Like <laughs> that was my,
2: what? All <laughs> <Bold> choices <laughs> like, from Disney. <laughs> what? Well,
1: oh. they don't explain, they don't explain why she has the hair at all. And it's like she kind of does. an important point of the movie. Yeah, but like <laughs> I was like, well, the Dalmatians have that hair color. <laughs> I was like, maybe she's part dog. <laughs>
2: I do like that at least in this movie. Like her name isn't actually Cruella. Like she's a It's not like I'm. I'm a magical fairy, and I'm. And there are people very. My name is Maleficent. <laughs> it's like no. She actually has a a normal name, and she changes it during the movie. Yeah, yeah. No. Um.
1: I think that worked too. Um, her mom is a really. The whole childhood sequence is like, kind of terrible and it really sets the movie off on a, like a weird spot because um, the mom actress is also not great um, and also like <laughs> she's like hitting this woman up for money and they try to act like she's like sympathetic and then you're like wait a second like knowing the whole movie you're like she did kind of just come in and like threaten this woman <laughs> like yes obviously the Baroness is the bad person in this situation but they try to make the mom seem so noble and it's like she kind of went to a party just like a uh, new order an old uh, <laughs> seven-year-old employee comes to your party and hits you up for money
2: so <laughs> <It's all> connected <laughs>
1: How many years ago did you work for us? And if you really want to
0: tie it in, you could look at Cruella as a tale of why having birth control and having birth, you know, having like plan B pills and stuff oh, yeah. like that. It is helpful for individuals.
1: Well, it's also, <laughs> it's also the 60s. And I was thinking about that. I was like, why would she have kept the baby to term? Like, I mean, I know it wouldn't have been the safest option, but sorry. There's a lot of things that were just weird about the twist. Paul's really uh,
0: off on the on this
1: movie. Paul really is out here thinking some ideas today. Well, okay, because you're sitting, well, you're sitting there and you're like, you're trying to find, follow the logic of the movie and there's kind of not any logic. So you have to create your own theory. Yeah. No, don't give me that look. <laughs> sure. Like this movie has so many things that are like, take this at face value and then if you think about it for five seconds you're like, what? No.
0: Well, similar no. to you, I am watching it again for sure. I'm going to bring my friend to it, so I'll get back to you if I see that on that viewing, I guess. Yeah. Um, Pogo's
1: the father. That's my...
2: Pogo? Pogo do you is... mean
1: Pongo? Pongo,
2: yeah. The one who's yet to be born. Yeah, not born. So it's like <laughs> a weird time thing. I like that.
0: The dog from the future is the husband. It's like predestination.
1: Um, no, but I wish they had explained the hair or talked about the fact that it was weird. Um, not just like oh, you look like a skunk, but, like, really, like, you know, explained it at all for, like, five seconds.
2: I, was I don't think the, it needs uh, explanation, honestly. Did you guys know
0: why she felt such a strong connection to the fountain? Because that was the one thing I didn't understand.
2: Because, like, <laughs> well, I, she,
0: I get what it means to her. I just don't know why it means that to the point where, like, she will go talk, like, she'll specifically go to the fountain to talk to the
2: fountain. I saw um, the connection of like that was the last that she was going to go there with her mom so it's connected to the mom and also the fact that she drowned I see oh, it as I like guess. being and the and this place where everything started after that where she met their, her friends I was like yeah that's the place of comfort with just the beginnings and everything.
1: I, yeah I also think it was that um, you could have a really great monologue from Emma Stone and they needed a spot for her to monologue and they were like I guess the fucking fountain who cares which, by
0: the way, Emma Stone in this movie is like I really was taken back by like the performance she gives. I think this almost shows like a different side of Emma Stone. I think we've obviously mm. p- just seen pieces of like this wickedness, but this mixture of wickedness, but also like camp and personality and charm and over the topness. Like I don't think we've seen this from Emma Stone. Correct
1: me if I'm wrong. Uh, but, like I was genuinely well, really
0: impressed by her in this film.
1: Um it's like an evolution I would of the say- favorite. Yeah. I was about to say, which is the same writer. Um, I do feel like mm. she took that energy. I also think she probably studied uh, I, Tanya a little yes. bit and saw um, how to play that role. Um, you know, a bunch of my friends are saying like, oh man, maybe she would have been great for uh, Harley Quinn or something like that now that, um, yep. and uh, I can see it. It is funny. I think this will be great for this one-two punch of the favorite and this will be great for her career mm-hmm. to move away from like
2: uh, easy a. Of, yeah, <laughs> the, romantic know, comedies.
1: Yeah, that kind of world or being the girlfriend um, mm. of famous actors in movies. Uh, I think she now is a lead um, which is great. Mm-hmm. I also forget that that was Emma Thompson the whole movie. Yes. Um, I love her and it was like the whole time I was like like hair are...
2: it's the black hair it's just weird yeah it's well so and off.
1: I'm not used to her playing such a stodgy character which was great um usually she plays like the kind of exuberant one and this was just like
2: or the warm and... kind of figure yeah
1: yeah um you know this was so different for her and I really enjoyed it um but yeah Uh, I will say, I do think that it has a chance at the Oscars for, uh, best costuming. I think that, you know, uh, we've been pushing away to like, you know, stuff like Ma Rainey, which is, you know, competent, um, design. And I think that there will be a course correction soon where we get back to the insane big budget stuff, um, which I hope starts with this because it's great. Uh, I do wish that they hadn't shown every single look in the trailers, um, which again is another thing to COVID. And that's what I also try to look at with this movie. It's like, if COVID hadn't happened, I would have probably like been over the moon about this movie. Um
0: I also assume cause... that's why the red carpet was so boring. After watching this, I was like, how in the hell do you not have Emma Stone like full costume pull up in like a garbage truck and just oh, have I it know. be like iconic?
1: I think because I I only assume because they didn't think anyone would look at that picture and then that meme went out where it was her versus uh, Cruella. Uh, not Cruella. <laughs> Glenn Close. Um, but um, yeah, it is interesting uh, that they didn't really do anything. I do think that there was like an opportunity to have done something really fun. Um, I'll be interested to see what happens in the next couple weeks with this movie, because I do think it's going to be a higher word of mouth than A Quiet Place too. Um, I think that'll be like a um, like even from its most ardent fans, it's still like it's good. You need to see the first one, and if you haven't seen the first one. So I don't see how that's going to continue. But I do think that this ha- could have some legs. Um, I am also a little... have horror
0: competition coming out next week with Conjuring. At least in the U.S. Oh, it's yeah. Out in the U.K. Cruella, you don't really have another, like quote-unquote family film though this is quite bold I don't know if I'd really say it's like a family film like I did appreciate how Emma Stone was like oh I'm gonna kill you like that's pretty oh you know, yeah but, Emma um, Thompson
2: has murdered a lot of people because yeah she's that like, was great wait, wait, who did they murder they just narrow it down basically okay, okay. actually that's wow. another one
1: of that's another one of my moments that really threw, threw me off because um she fucking knew who it was <laughs> like there's just so well, yeah she spots. was just being a bitch No, I know, but like, she doesn't play it like that. Okay, then that would be my note to Emma Thompson as Craig Gillespie. Um, I'd go, Emma, play it like you're being rude, not play it like you really don't know because clearly you do and the audience doesn't know you do. (laughs) Um, But anyway, yeah, minor stuff. Um, I also am curious to see what they do with uh, Boris and Artie in a potential sequel because they Aren't in the story, and I think her having a horde of four guys around is going to be a bit much. Um, to uh, you know, time with her, so that'll be interesting moving forward. But um, I do think it'll get a sequel. I'm almost positive. Uh, so if Maleficent did right. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and it's interesting uh, talking about Disney Plus and everything. Um, the premiere access um, doesn't go into the box office. So this is going to look like a failure unless you count the Disney Plus, which um, from the fact that they did it even after uh, Mulan and Raya, I do think that they actually like make bank off those. So
2: I think they do. And, and, and now we hear Irinita is actually showing in a lot of cinemas I mean, yesterday we went to a small town, like in the middle of nowhere, and the only movie they were playing was Cruella. And I know people are going to it. I have some friends who saw it in the cinema. I saw it on Disney Plus, but some of them went to the cinema, and it was packed, absolutely packed to the maximum capacity that they could have. So it's—I I think it's going to have a, make a lot of money. I think like by the end of the weekend, we're going to start get more and more numbers. Yeah. It's going to be both this and A Quiet Place. They're they're promising. Yeah.
0: To be um, transparent, we record this on the weekend, so we don't have those finals. But like, it is right mm. now sitting at thirty-seven point four million worldwide total opening weekend. That's not that's not bad, especially during a pandemic
2: for and something back. that's available on streaming. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, yeah. I was about to say, and it's you know, um, a lot of people probably bought it on streaming.
2: I think this would be a blast actually yeah. in the cinema, like watching it on the big screen.
1: Yeah, it was. Mm. Uh, mm. Especially in those reclining chairs. Good old Prime.
0: Well, if you want to check out Cruella for yourself, you can check it out either on Disney Plus with premium access, or you can check it out in theaters, you have the option. I would recommend you do the theater if you feel safe. If not, though, I think this is one of the films where like, watching watching it from home, you get this, you know, a good enough experience. I don't think you're missing out too much. Um, so to close out this episode of ClapperCast, let's do something a little bit new. So this is going to be a new permanent thing we do on the podcast. At the end of every episode, this is not like a full review or anything. We're not going to go for 30 minutes about this. We're going to call it ClapperCast Film Spotlight, where every single week we're going to pick one film. Because uh, the entire like thesis of the show, if you want to say, is marginalized voices looking at really new releases in cinema and specifically uh, acts of diversity in some way. It's also important, I think, to look at behind us and look at older films that represent diversity either on camera or behind the camera. So starting with Pride Month, but this is continuing every single week after. Uh, we're just going to highlight a film that features diversity in some way. Again, this is not like a full review or anything, um, but this week to kick things off, we have 2011's Tomboy. Uh, Nick or Paul, do either of you have anything you want to say about this one just quickly?
1: Yeah. Um, I... Sorry, oh, go, go first. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say uh, everything Selene Skiyama does is fantastic, but this one um, in particular is such a small story. And um, I really appreciate that she always does something that by its very nature, feels almost insignificant, except it's the most important part of probably this person's life. Um, And you really sit with this character and just kind of see growing up and figuring out things. And it's just really fantastic. Um, I love all the casting. I love the actors. I love um, that there's a kind of quietness to it Without ever being really boring, because there is like a central tension that's gripping. But um, yeah, it's just really great. I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah, I I... talk about the plot a little bit. I just talked about how much I love the movie.
2: (laughs) No, but I, I, I honestly agree with everything you said, especially having seen, I think I saw all of her films in close succession, succession last year. Um, I'd already watched Portrait in Canada, actually in 2019, but but, this, <laughs> but but Tomboy was probably the one I was most looking forward to because a lot of people said it was her best prior to the success of Portrait. And I, I agree, honestly, I believe this is easily her second best movie um, because it is so quiet, so subdued, but also so tight. There's no time wasted in this movie. I feel one of the problems I have with uh, um, water lilies and girl, girlhood, I think there's a, a, a wonderful moments, especially girlhood, but they just kind of dragged for me in some bits. Meanwhile, tomboy is just quick, like straight to the point, which makes me excited for the new film, which is like 70 minutes long or something like that. Um, and th- the way she handles the discourse around like gender identity It's something that I think will stand the test of time compared to so many other movies that try to tackle it in one way or another, more directly, indirectly. Um, It's very mature, it's very accepting, and it's coming from the most important of places, which is from children, children who are um, the simplest human beings on the planet, like everything is black and white. And so something this nuanced, working this effectively when using children, or using child actors, who all do a wonderful job. Um, I think it's a, a it's a genuinely brilliant film, and I would say oh this would be like mandatory viewing almost just just to get a better understanding. Of, of, of the struggle that some people go through, of the per- prejudice that surrounds them, and also of the need of just being accepting. That there's literally nothing wrong. I don't think there's ever been a, a case where being accepting of someone can be seen as a negative. Well, no, okay, no, there might be some small cases, but generally speaking, <laughs> I retract that. I retract that. Um, but when someone is struggling with pain inside and just wanting to get out, just, yeah, be kind and gentle and accepting. In those cases, it's fine.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate the complexity of this film and specifically how it shows the complexity specifically of gender identity. Like there is no roadmap. It's just like a bunch of confusing emotions and then you have the pressures of society. And like, I think it's just, it's it's a really complex thing. And no matter where you end up at the end of that journey, I feel like most people have that journey in some form. Um, And I think this film just brilliantly shows that. I agree, like I think this director, she is quite phenomenal. I mean, this and portrait, damn, but like then she has an entire other filmography, like it's really impressive. And I just, I really appreciate how honest and authentic this film feels without ever feeling too preachy, that quiet moments, like that quiet soul that you mentioned. I think this really stands out and I really appreciate this. Um, And I'd recommend anyone, you know, anyone out there checks it out. Uh, You know, let us know what you think on Twitter and email, like I said, clappercast at gmail.com if you like. Let's round out this episode of Clappercast with our
1: film recommendations. Paul's very excited. Paul, you can start us off this week. Thank God. Okay, so I have two. Um, The first is The Dry, uh, starring Eric Bana. I kind of wanted to talk about it on the pod. Maybe I'll convince us to later, but it is fantastic. It is, um, if you guys have been watching *Mayor of Easttown, um, it feels like the Australian version of that, but quicker and um, literally shocking. Um, There are moments that I was just like surprised at how much it got me. It's a murder mystery. Um, Really well done. Um, Eric Bana is fantastic. Um, And then the other is a Polish film on Netflix that I thought was new. And then I just found out that it's from July, which was very upsetting for me because I had this whole time not watching it. Uh, It's called The Hater. And it's basically about um, a manipulative kind of Tom Ripley-esque character getting involved in the world of uh, social media, um, like fake hate Um, to change people's public opinion, very uh, Russian troll-ish. And it is fantastic. Um, It is so dark. It actually has a lot of similarities to uh, New Order in its kind of uh, discussions about, like, you know, how people behind the scenes are manipulating things that have real-world consequences, Um, super good. It's by the same director as, um, help me out here. You know, Corpus Christi. Uh, (laughs) and apparently this is a spinoff slash sequel to a different film, uh, called Suicide Room. Suicide Room. Thank you. Which I need to watch. Um, and there's only a couple moments that you can kind of see that, but I would definitely start with this one because I hear that Suicide Room isn't um, like as good as this. I loved this. Um, definitely check out both of those films. Um, yeah, just they were great.
0: Nick, what's your recommendation this
2: week? My recommendation for this week is The Forbidden Room from 2015, directed by Guy Madden and Evan Johnson. Um, This is a movie that they knew nothing of except one thing, which is the only thing that matters. Udo Kier is in it. Technically, that's all you need to know. But there's more. Um, I discovered this because of him. Because I believe Udo Kier, if, if I were to do like a month of just watching an actor's career, I think this would probably be the most rewarding of all time. Because this man has been working since the late 60s. And there are so many movies, but probably so many gems that no one has ever watched. And The Forbidden Room kind of qualifies as one of those. This movie is my first Guy Madden film, but from what I know, it's very experimental. And and this movie is just like it felt tailor-made for me. This is essentially a collection of short films that take premises from unfinished or unreleased or just forgotten movies from the 20s and 50s. And they're loosely connected and they have like repeated cast members they have this constant like jittery style there's come there's like transparent images on top of one another it just flows from one to the other Um, there's a lot of dark comedy there's a lot of grotesque imagery but it's never a horror it's always very tongue-in-cheek very self-aware with some self-serious acting that's just hilarious and it's, it's insane. It truly feels like, I've, honest, I've never been on drugs. This feels like a wonderful trip. Um, we were just intoxicated by these visuals, these changing color palettes, um, the soundtrack, the, 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 the certain sequences. Every time Udo Kier is on screen, I know I'm biased with him, but just honestly, those are the best moments in a movie that's rich of memorable sequences. Um, I know it's streaming in the US and Canada. It's streaming on Mubi if anyone wants to watch it. So absolutely, it's a, it's a high recommend from me. Cool, well,
0: those sounds like really great quality recommendations. Mine is gonna be 1980s Alligator, uh, a very shitty <laughs> Jaws remake, uh, but it is, I'm not kidding, this movie slabs. It is weirdly really good, like really well-made, like uh, really smart uses of cutting between real alligators And then like the prop they use, but the prop looks really good. Like it's, it's undeniably shitty, but like, it's really, it's weirdly really good. Um, I know it's on YouTube. I don't know if it's supposed to be on YouTube. So like, I'm not promoting it, but I'm just saying objectively, it is on YouTube right now. And objectively, I think, well, subjective, I I don't know. I think you'll have a great time watching it objectively. I had a great time watching it. So I'd recommend 1980s alligator. um, If you just want a shitty movie this week. Uh, that's really going to be it, though, this, for this episode ClapperCast. Let's go around. Where can we find everyone on social media? Nick?
2: You can follow me on Twitter at NickyGrow97 and on Letterboxd at Niccolo Grasso. And you can watch my short films and video ICs on YouTube and Vimeo at Enjoy the Movies.
1: Paul? At PriceLikeTag on Letterboxd and Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at BP underscore
0: reviews, Letterbox Carson Tamar, We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're on Patreon, we're on email. You know, we're everywhere. Check us out. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema. See you then.